0: So uh, this is one of my, uh, among my favorite, everything that I'm presenting today are things that are really important to me. And I will preface our conversation by saying that uh, there are a ton of models that we could use to communicate with you as leaders in terms of helping you to pay attention, perhaps, to your own leadership style, as well as the leadership style of your leaders, if if you have leaders who are on your leadership team, And certainly the potential leadership style of those who are currently followers with the potential to become leaders in the future. Uh, Among the leadership styles that you will find, uh, most degree plans around the state, around the state, around the country uh, communicating would include these two because they go against each other. But the reason why, one of the reasons why I chose to share this particular model with you today is that these are the two I find uh, us operating in quite a bit in the church realm. And the, it, to a degree there's a dichotomy, to a degree there's a, there's a challenge, because <clears throat> sometimes it's not either or. It's not this one or that one. Sometimes it's, it's more one than the other, but both of them may exist in your leadership style. So we're going to break down what is transformational leadership, and then we'll break down what is transactional leadership, and then we'll have a conversation together to try to talk about the ways in which one may lean in one direction or the other. So that's our conversation. So I start again, as I did this morning, with the scenery of a perfect world and the idea of how things could be if everything were perfect. Uh, Any given day you wake up, any given day uh, your day is ending and the skies are perfectly set up and of course, we would love to live in a perfect world, and what we find out is that our, our day can be filled with a whole lot of things that we did not prescribe, things that we did not set up to happen in a certain way. And so I reiterate again, for those of you who are the pastors or are the leaders of your organization, again, you cannot do it all. Uh, you need help. We all need help. How many pastors in here right now? Any pastors? Would you agree you need help? Yes. Would you accept the help if it was given to you? That's the next part, right? Because the next question is what kind of help is it? Who is it? And um help comes in a number of ways, and um and the biggest challenge is is can we accept that help? So for a third time, shamelessly to a degree, uh we put a lot of work into it. This is our second edition, we're probably gonna have a third edition because every time we read it more, even when I read, it, I look in the back and like, ah oh, man uh how did you know i did I, I thought i edited this i thought i did that so i tell you in advance uh there's still things we're working on but we do have a lot of information in here that i believe will be helpful to you uh as leaders and the i want to uh, for those who haven't heard this before um i want to share this with those who just bear with me one quick moment i may not have said this before uh, but the picture is trying to paint a thousand words for us it's an indication that uh, our organizations, our churches can go from uh, one or two or five, uh, five hundred members or a thousand members. But the bigger the church, the bigger the organization, the harder it is to control what happens in that organization. Would you agree? It's also difficult to understand who we lose along the way. If your church has 20,000 members and Sister Susie, if anybody's name is Susie here, please forgive me. If if Sister Susie stops coming to church four, four Sundays in a row, it may not make any difference to you because you don't know. Church is huge. Thousands of people are showing up every weekend. However, if your church is less than 100, you probably know very well Susie's not coming week after week. Would you agree? So if Susie stops coming to church in that thousand two thousand twenty thousand member church week after week she may have issues why is Susie not coming to church what's going on with Susie Uh, what's happening in Susie's life you may or may not be concerned about that because you have another person that's that's coming to the church that's replacing that one seat that Susie sat in when you're a thousand member church but if your church is less than that 50 to 100 or so you know good and well it hurts when Susie's not here because Susie is also a great contributor to all things relative to your church finances and otherwise are you with me so far So the challenge then becomes how do we take care of the people in our organization and do we recognize when they're falling off the ship? That's the man overboard. Could be woman overboard to be more particular. Uh, If it's a kayak, it's just you. No big deal. But if it's a five thousand people ship like this ship carrier here, this naval uh, aircraft carrier, it's really difficult. You've got to have great systems in place. To know how to, uh, to know where people are and what's going on with your people. Are you with me so far? So that's what we did. Uh, We looked at that and said, man overboard, um, how do we go about taking care of our people? And um, the nautical concepts that are in here are because both my co-author and I have been between the Navy, he was Navy guy, and I was a Marine Corps guy, and we just put all our thoughts together as related to our doctoral stuff, and so that's what that book is about. If you can't, if you we didn't, I didn't bring but a handful today, but if you desire it, you can go to Amazon. Just type in Man Overboard or Emil Hawkins, E-M-I-L-E, Hawkins, and for those of you who thought I was a lady, thought my name was Emily, it's Emil. I just thought I'd tell you that right off the bat. Happens happens every day brother and sometimes you agree with me earlier today wasn't that you um, um, and twice on sunday all right what was my mother thinking about so here's what happened i'll tell you what happened it's not really her fault but what happened was so my father's supposed to be hispanic as i understand it uh notice i said it was supposed to be i don't know him so uh but he's supposed to have uh, uh be hispanic and his first name was emilio and I just wish she went ahead and just called me Amelia. I could have worked with that. Most people can work with that. Right. But she she tried to find some English or other versions. So I have, I guess, the French German version of it. Uh, and the, one version doesn't have the E on the end of it. And one does. I think the French version has the Emil uh, Emil with the E on the end of it. I grew up my whole life up to high school before joining the Marine Corps uh, without ever using the E on the back of my name, because I thought my name was spelled E.M.I.L. I saw my birth certificate for the first time when I was signing up for the Marine Corps. And found that my whole life up to that point, I was missing a letter on my name. And here I go, empowered by knowing I got one more letter to add to my name. I put that E on there and became Emily. Just thought I'd let you know. That's what happened to me. All right. That's my story. All right. So. My son has, my oldest son has the, has the easier part. We just call him EJ. So Easy Meal Jr. He doesn't have to say email every time. All right. So let's talk about this thing called transformational and transactional leadership and how that might impact your leadership in the future. And so I'm going to put the mic down for a second and try to talk as, as loudly as I can. All right. So first of all, transactional. Whenever we're being transactional, and you can understand that from the very basis of going to uh, your local store, there's an item you want to purchase. Let's just say we're going to Starbucks or some other coffee shop. What's the name of the coffee shop right here? Coffee Connections. Coffee Connections. Coffee Connections, we go to Coffee Connections, walk up to the wonderful hostess there and say, I'd like a something, 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 you know, all that stuff you up, macchiato, you put all that stuff in there. And she puts he or she puts it together. You they tell you how much it costs, you give them the money, they give you the product. What has just happened? Transaction. Was it important? For me to find out how her day was going. Uh, Was it important at that moment to know uh, how long she's been working at the organization? Was it important at that moment that I wanted my coffee and she wanted the money for the coffee to know uh, how long uh, she's been um, uh, a cashier for this? Was that important? Good things to know. But was it important at that moment? No. To know those things takes us beyond the transaction. Now, Bear with me as I try to peel back, peel back what this thing looks like, because the transactional person knows what they want. They have a clear set of objectives and I want to make a correlation then that many people who are transactional in their leadership style tend to be people who are also more managerial than they are leadership oriented. It's taking nothing away from being a manager. And by, by the way, let me be clear. I am not talking about leadership positions or management positions. I'm talking about styles, how you get things done, leadership styles of how you get things done. Not a title. I'm the manager. I'm the leader. In fact, almost every time I worked for a hospital for 10 years, uh, the, the county hospital down in Miami as a, as a young person in, into coming into my adulthood more and more. And uh, I would notice that many on many occasions they would call for a leadership meeting. And 90% of the people who showed up to that leadership meeting had management titles. See if that makes any sense to you. Supervisor, department manager, department foreman. All of those are more management related than they are leadership. You might say, well, Hawkins, what's the difference between the two? When we're talking about management, we tend to focus on tasks. What is it we're trying to have as an outcome? Right? Nothing wrong with that. You've got to have managers in your organization. Right. But leadership focuses on the people involved in those outcomes. How do we build the people? How do we help the people to grow to know that they're doing what they're doing because they want to do it or they're doing it because they've been asked to do it. But they understand the bigger picture. That's a leadership thing. That's a behavioral thing. That's a sociological thing. That's a psychological thing versus just. The fiscal responsibility, the financial and on and on, uh, the marketing, the sale, all of that side lends on the management side. Interesting to me, to, to convey to you, that the college, the Genetides College of Business uh, at Southeastern University has two departments. Currently two, we're going to have three for the fall. But the two departments are split, if you will, between all things management and all things leadership. But interesting to me, one one. Uh, Two parts of the four parts of management function are are leadership related. Anybody know any management um, majors ever? So planning, leading, organizing, controlling. Those are the four functions of, of management. Planning also sounds like a leadership function, but planning, leading, leading, organizing still sounds like a leadership function and controlling. Those are the four functions of management. And so here we are. We have two departments, one focused on the person, one focused on the task. Are you with me? One focus on the person, one focus on the task. So when you're being transactional, see if you're tracking with me. On the managerial side, you're focusing more on the task than you are on the person. With me so far? Is there anything wrong with that? How many of you know there's some things you've got to get accomplished in your organization? Somebody needs to do it. Task. Are you with me? Nothing wrong with that. But is it possible... To have a transformational mind, even though you have a transactional action that needs to be accomplished. I still need you to do it, but I'm gonna love on you while you do it. And hey, by the way, we'll do lunch after you finish. If you're primary, primarily transactional oriented, I'll ask you to do the task and we'll never talk anything else about it. Except how did you get it done? Did you get it done when I asked you to do it? Did you do it as efficiently and effectively as I need you to do it? Are you done? We'll come back to see you tomorrow. We start at nine o'clock, let's make it happen. Boom. Anything wrong with that? No. I had a job to do. You did the job. We agreed that you do that job. Paid to do that job. Wouldn't be nice to pay to be that job. The job is done. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We need that. And I don't know about you folks. Talking about pastors, pastoral leadership at all its levels. Many times we may even be transformation, I'm thinking, but we are perhaps a little uh, apprehensive to delegate, if you will, to have somebody who is more transactional than we are. So I may be, I am telling, I'm telling my own story right now. I'm more transformational in my thinking than I am transactional. But what happens is nothing gets done sometime because I'm not dealing with the people to make sure stuff gets done. So I need to have some people connected to me. (laughs) who are a little bit more transactional than I am, hopefully with a transformational mindset, more transactional than I am, so that whatever needs to get done, somebody follows through. Because the worst thing that can happen to you in leadership is to have people drop the ball. Uh, I feel an amen on that. And somebody around you say the worst thing that could ever happen is for somebody to drop the ball. Why is that? Because in our vision, we see the big picture. And we speak and think everybody catches it and realize some people may have caught it, but they didn't have the same Uh, connection to it as you do. So at some point they drop the ball and let it go. That hurts, doesn't it? Hurts us all. All right. So the transactional person is this person who has these clear objectives, doing everything they can to reach these goals. But the transformational is going to try to identify. And if you will, create this vision to make sure that whatever we set out to do, people are committed to make it happen. All right. So among theories, the transformational Theory is probably among the most popular. But let me display to you or share with you uh, the ones that we hear commonly. You have transformational leadership, transactional leadership, charismatic leadership and servant leadership. How many have heard those before? You have transformational leadership, transactional leadership, charismatic leadership and then servant leadership. All right. Those are the common four that, especially in a church uh, realm, you would hear uh, quite often. But here's the thing is I see this happening with the transformational side. Uh, the goal is to motivate followers uh, to work for this goal instead of short term self-interest, not just their self-interest, but your self-interest, self-interest and for achievement and self-actualization instead of security. What do you mean by security? I think I mentioned it this morning. The hard part about about leadership, particularly in the church realm. And I can say from some of the denominations I've had the pleasure of working with, some pastors are, for whatever the reason, end up being pastors for life. Have you ever met anybody in a scenario like that? There's nothing wrong with it, but they end up being pastors for life. Not because always they've wanted to be pastors for life, but the people wouldn't let them not be pastors for life. They're so comfortable with their leadership style or the way they do things. They don't let them do something else like they they don't have the, the capacity to do something else. Sure, they do. If You can lead a church, man. You are a special person. Very special, in my opinion. Right. You probably have all kinds of uh, competencies and capabilities to do things that has, hasn't been done, uh, hasn't been seen by what we would call the secular environment. You can transpose and translate those things, correlate those things very easily. So here it is. The transformational leader is not not interested in self. That's a hard thing to understand and quantify. How is it I as as a responsible steward of vision, for my church, move myself back away just enough to make sure that other people realize it's not about me. It's about them. It includes me, but it's not about me. Includes me, but not not about me. Can you all help me out? Include you, but not about you. Go ahead. Point somebody. Just point them out. Say include you, but not about you. Include you. Tell me. Tell me. But not about you. Did everybody do that? Let's do it one more time. Find somebody else. Find somebody else. Find somebody else. It includes you, but it's not about you. But it's not about you. Do you see what I'm saying? It includes you. You are part of what God gave to Stuart, but it's more than you. It requires others' involvement. So how do I move from self-interest and my own security to keep my job as pastor to recognize if I can give this thing away, others will help me to do what God has called me to do. Zig Ziglar said something uh, a number of years ago, and I'm not going to call him a theologian or anything like that. Anybody remember Zig Ziglar? He was really a master salesman, motivator. Right. And he said something years ago, I think it was in the 80s that I've never forgotten. I, I find myself as I'm repeating it to you right now. He said, you can get out of life what you want if you're willing to help enough other people get out of life what they want. You can get out of life what you want. If you're willing to help enough other people get out of life what they want, if you can share those values that I've been talking about earlier and transform yourself to help that person. Because it's in this case, it's all about them. It's not just about you. It's about them. If You can help them become what God is calling them to be. It actually ultimately helps you to become what God called you to be. That's going to take some effort. Right. So here we go. In order to be transformational, I've got some eyes for you. This may be helpful. i got four of them. All right. So here's some eyes. If you want to write down some things that may be helpful to you, uh, you can't see it from way back there. I'll call them out and read it out. But the first one is this idealized influence. And this is about building confidence and trust and providing a role model that, if you will, followers seek to emulate. Are you? Can you? Do you? have an influence model so much so that others want to emulate it do you have a model of influence that others want to emulate right that's if you can do that if you see that then that's part of your transformational journey and that others may be on that journey with you the next one is this inspirational motivation it's related to the ideal influence, but whereas charisma is held, this is interesting, where charisma is held to motivate individual, the inspirational leader or the inspirational leadership uh, perspective of this leader is about motivi- motivating the entire organization. So it's not so much about doing something for one person. It's about trying to do something for more than one person. Now, this is a challenge. Most of our churches, most of our organizations have what we call our core, our core leaders. Do you have core leaders in your church? One or two, five, 10, 20? How many of you got more than 20? What you would call core leaders? I see, I hear how, about how many, 20, 25, 30, 25, anybody more than 25 core leaders, core. Like these people are in charge of running your organization, each of them name by name or person by person. How many? I got 25. Anybody be 25? 25. Anybody 25? 25, 25. Anybody over here 25? What? Oh, here 25, 25. Right? Any more? No more than 25? That's it. So most of you have core leadership, or you are part of core leadership that's less than 25. 15, 5? Okay, I'm working. Okay, okay. How many of you? How many of you in this room believe you are a part of core leadership? How many of you are part of core leadership? You are a part of the core. About how, so how many people are a part of your core? About 10. Okay, so we got about 10. About 12. 10, 12. So we're in the 10, 12 range now. Okay. What about over there? I saw your hand, sir. It was, it was ever so slightly there, but it was there. I saw it. Five or six. Okay. Five, from five to six is to as much as 25. All right. Wow. How do you... This is challenging. It's challenging me as I'm saying it to you because I've said the same thing to my own organization. How do I move myself from not just the five to twenty five, Pastor Lund, to the twenty six to include the twenty six? Do you not know that Matthias had his work cut out for him when he joined the twelve after Judas? Judas took his life. Because he wasn't part of the crew. That had spent all that time with Jesus. And the straws were pulled, and his name is pulled, and suddenly he becomes the thirteenth disciple. Without the day-to-day connection to Jesus physically, yet he has to depend now on being just as much a leader as the as the previous eleven, or because the twelfth is gone, the other eleven. How does he get to participate? with the same amount of transformational download from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that the previous 11 had. Because we need his new style of leadership to help move this thing forward. This is what I'm suggesting is the challenge. To join... I'm I'm trying to be careful, because I know i got pastors in the room. So I'm just using this word for fun. Say to yourself, he's using this word for fun. Come on, work with me. But to join the clique of the crew who is helping to lead your organization requires that the crew also be open to transformation. They can't keep acting like it was just us. Oh, now, now he's gone and added another person to our group. We had, we had a good, who, who is this? They haven't been through what we've been through. How we, because the others haven't been through what you've been through doesn't mean this person doesn't qualify to join. But the transformational leader, doesn't care about the sacrifices to move the organization forward. All he or she cares about is moving the organization forward. And it almost always comes at a price. That's a business terminology. Anybody know what uh, opportunity cost is? Right? Who can tell me what opportunity cost is? You got that right. Somebody's paying for it. That's what you say. There's There's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody pays. And opportunity means anything that becomes a place of fruition in that opportunity? Sacrifice. Cost. You can't have this without giving up this. Opportunity costs. You want to move your organization forward? How many people are you willing to offend to move forward? Are you willing to lose a few? We were kind of, I was jovially saying at the table. How many, how many? How many. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Father in heaven. How many long-standing, Incredible givers are you willing to lose to move this organization forward? Because transformation says we can't keep doing it the way we've been doing it. It may have worked to get us here, but I believe to move us forward. We're going to have to make some changes. And some people may be brought to the table who don't look or act like you. Younger than you. All of that stuff. (laughs) And but transformation means change. That's what it does. And it messes with everything and messes with everybody. Nobody is exempt from what happens when we're dealing with transformation. All right. So the the other eyes, individualized consideration. All right. So involves responding to the specific, I want to make. I want to stop on that. I felt some tomatoes about to come in my direction. I said, "Better hurry up and move on." It, it involves responding to the specific, unique needs of followers to ensure they are included. I'm saying I've said what I've said already because it's in my brain. Uh, are included in the transformation process of the organization. What I was just saying, and then finally, the intellectual stimulation. We can't forget that, even as Pentecostals, for the longest part of Pentecostal history, starting from 1906 upwards to the 1920s, 1930s, the forming of the assemblies, the Church of God in Christ, all of the other, uh, the oneness churches of Pentecostal, all of that was happening somewhere between 1906 and 1930s. The challenge became, for the most part, for the longest time, that they thought anybody who was intellectual wasn't spiritual. Right? And if you wore a tie, I mean, we think uh, the average Sunday, at least for, for some time, the average uh, suit and tie was not the average uh, allowable. In fact, if you had a shirt... Uh, to be spiritual, you wore, you wore, a, you wore, a, you wore the uh, button shirt without the tie because the, the tie made it secular. Did y'all know that? We had some interesting thinking back then. Here's the thing. You need some intellectuals in your church. You need some people who think structurally and um, financially to be able to help, help massage the movement of the entire organization from where it is to where it can be. In my opinion, Assemblies of God is one of the most incredible organizations I have ever seen, a Pentecostal organization I've ever seen. What next? What else can we do? What else can the Pentecostal church, what else can Assemblies of God do? Who else can we reach? How can we reach them? What will it take? Who will we bring to the table? Because, get this now, As soon as you start opening the door for more intellectualism, you got to have a way to to deal with the intellectuals who can find their place in your organization that what they have to say is just as important as whatever else everybody else has to say, whether you agree with it or not. So intellectual stimulate involves arousing. I like that word. That's quite an emotional word right there. Arousing. It's often connected to something, you know, physical when we're talking about human beings, connectivity and all that. But when something is aroused, something, your emotion is about to be stirred. Something's happening on the inside that, that makes you feel connected to something beyond the surface. And the followers, awareness of problems and their capacity to solve those problems. How many of you would agree it'd be great if you had three more people in your church who not knew how to help solve problems? I'm just. This is just me? Just checking. Just check. Is it just me? I'm just seeing. I just want one see leave your hand up. I just want to check. Why? Why would it be great to have a few more people who didn't bring your problems but helped to solve the problems? Cuz you got plenty of people who can bring you problems. Why would it be great to have at least 3 more people to help solve problems? Why would that be great? Tell me, tell me. Diverse perspective. Yeah. Same thing, perspective. I heard some witness back here. Why, why, why would it be good? Multiplication. Yeah. Yeah. You could, if you could have a panel of people who were problem solvers and issues were brought to the panel and you discuss it, you'd have this broadened view of taking care of the issues in front of you. Right. Even in Old Testament history. God told, basically told Moses, get you some help. You can't be doing all of that stuff. Trying to answer, judge all that stuff, but when you bring that kind of help to the table, understand they may not say things and do things the way you want them done uh, at first. But if you listen, the answer may be in their ability to help you to solve those problems. Right? Okay, let's continue. All right, so this gets more interesting for me. So research clearly shows that groups led by—get this—you'll you'll like this—groups led by transformational leaders have higher levels of performance. And and satisfaction. Groups led by transformational leaders have higher levels of performance and satisfaction. Why do you think that's true? Sir. Ah, oh, focus on the person more than the task. I like that. So that's good. We focus on the person more than the task. Anybody else focus on the person more than the task? yes sir yes ah because the values we've talked about that earlier when you share the values the performance level goes up they want what you want just as much as you want and you don't even have to you don't have to manage them anymore provides provides purpose yes sir Yes. I told an earlier group about one of Collins uh, quotes and it, it is this t- all, all kinds in that book. But to connect with what my brother just said here is that he says, uh, you know, the old adage uh, that uh, people are your greatest asset turns out to not be true. People are not your greatest asset. The right people are. First, you have to get the wrong people off the bus, the right people on the bus, the right people in the right seats on the bus. Then determine where the bus should go. And then the idea is, is that if you could hire the right people, the need to manage them basically goes away. If you could hire the right people, if you could have the right people on your staff, if you could have the right people as leaders in your organization, the need to manage them would go away. Because they're the right people, they're already connected with your purpose, they reiterate what you want to accomplish because it's not just you who wants to accomplish it, it's them who want to accomplish it, and that value is shared Therefore, they are already on board. E-harmony for churches. That's what we're going to call it. E-harmony for churches. Right. <laughs> Find the match for your life. Right. Yes. And so also the transformational leader inspires, empowers. Let's talk about that one word. I feel like I'm at, at, at SEU today. Let's talk about this interesting word called empower. What is empower? What does it mean to Empower. Talk about my energizer bunny, my my batteries. Earlier this morning, what does it mean to empower? Say that. I like it. I think that belongs on tape. Say it again, sir. Uh, you give a person wisdom, knowledge, uh, and resources that they need, and then let them go. Wow, I like that. You give them the resources, and knowledge, whatever it is they need, and then let them go. So to empower a person. Is to take power you would ordinarily have yourself and share it with them. So I empower you by giving you the not just not just title, but authority. And if I give you title and authority to take care of, in other words, I just give you another, you are going to be John Doe over X, Y, and Z, and didn't empower you, that I didn't give you an authority to do anything, you're saying people, go, well, who does he think he is? Right? But if I give you the authority, that's oh Jesus. And you shall receive power. What what did God do through the Holy Spirit in helping us as doing his vision? He had to empower us. He had to give us some of his stuff so we can do his will. That's what the Holy Spirit comes along to help us. Because we can't do his work without his help. So when you empower your followers, give them some of your authority. And when you give them some of your authority, they share now your authority to go do what you're asking them to do. So it's not just them doing it, it's you doing it with them in whatever area you're sending them to. He also gave them vision. Gave them vision. Yes. Yes. Vision. I heard this uh, description of vision once. Uh, I was on my way. I believed. I had heard from God, and I, I, I did, but I had, to, I had to sell it to my wife, Pastor Lund. The Lord spoke to my heart a couple of years before we actually did it that we were supposed to go to Oral Roberts. I had been in I had been in associate and music ministry all my life, just about, and felt I understood the actionable elements of ministry, but didn't understand all of the. Uh, theoretical stuff behind it. Like, why does this church do this doctrine and all that kind of stuff? I just want to understand that better. And then I heard this, uh, to this day, I don't know who that preacher was. It was a radio message and I've never forgotten it to this day um, about vision. Interesting that you mentioned that. Wow. He said, vision is an invitation from God to you to participate in something he is about to accomplish. Vision is an invitation from God to you to participate in something he is about to accomplish, which takes the weight off of me trying to come up with a vision. If it's from God, God gave it to me, then sharing it should be easier because it belongs to him to start with. But man, if we can get people to participate in that vision, it could it could really launch our churches, our organization into the next and then the next future, next generation, next century. Wow. So how do we do this? This is this is work. This is work because I'm trying to understand the difference between the transactional me and the transformational me. Okie dokie. All right. So I'm empowering people to move forward. I'm stimulating. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and I understand that we have to focus on our followers. Yes. And I'm trying to look at their personal needs and their development. But at the end of the day, too, there's stuff that has to be done. So while let me be clear, while transformational leadership is a popular and an effective way to lead. At the end of the day, somebody, as I said early, has to make sure stuff gets done. Would you agree? Yes. At some point, you still need somebody around you who's a little bit more transactional than you are. So if you believe that one of your leadership traits is transformational, I was asked that question in an interview just Friday, just yesterday. They didn't ask me that question. I gave them that answer. They said, how would you describe, and we did this in an early session, said, how would you describe your leadership style? I describe my leadership style as a transformation leadership style, but I understand that there's a part of me that has to lean from time to time and it's not my preference by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it taxes me when I'm being transactional. I don't like it. I don't want to be the person to check time cards. I don't want to be the person to look at all the numbers to make sure everything is lining up. I'll bring the pro forma worksheet and I'll make sure that stuff looks right. But at the, end of the day, I don't want to be the person to deal with all the accumulation and the numbers and the accounting. I don't want to do that part. That's not I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in following why you didn't show up to work yesterday. Not really my interest. If I have to do it, I will do it, but I don't want to. I'm really still more interested in the person themselves at the end of the day. That's my preference. So that's how I explained it. I'm a transformational leader who understands my tra- some transactional responsibilities. That's the tough part. Because at some point, if you can't do it, you better hire somebody who can. Because not everybody who follows you and is on your team is as transformational as you would like them to be. They're not there yet. In our previous session, we talked about their readiness level. They're not where you'd like them to be. So you have to be a little bit more transactional. So in this case, sets up a series of rewards and punishments to motivate members of the organization. And So if you are more transactional, what you will find yourself doing is trying to reward people to encourage them to do something versus them doing it on their own. So instead of meeting the heart level of stuff that needs to be done, you're always needing to pat them on the back or give them a parking slot so they can park closer to the church to walk in and, and to give them extra payment and their paychecks. And, you know, do all these things that you do um, because you're trying to reward them into doing it. You're trying to motivate them into doing it in that way versus them wanting to do it because they they want to do it. Does That make sense. If the leader, leader's goals are met, they will be rewarded for their hard work, salary, bonus other incentives I've just said. But if they fail, they face punishment. So let me, let me share and ask you to join with me on this thought. Uh, sometimes as we are trying to get certain things accomplished in our churches as leaders, what we also find ourselves dealing with is that we're so passionate about our vision. We're so passionate about what it is we're trying to, to do or raise money for. We may find ourselves incentivizing or or something to try to get something accomplished. But how do you keep yourself? This is the answer I want from you. I'm not going to give you. I'm going to give you the question. Set it up. How do you keep yourselves from being on the edge of coercion? How do you as pastors keep yourself from being on the edge of coercion? Think about it for a minute. You don't have to be the pastor; just be in leadership anywhere in the organization. But how do we how do we motivate people without coercing them? Is coercing them, uh, them? Is that- Could be. It's also the edge of manipulation. Trusting that God's one that causes an increase; that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't start from you. God gives an increase; it doesn't start from you. Yeah. That's how we keep away from the edge, yeah. I saw some other hands a minute ago. Well, kinda, sorta. Sir, Pastor. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. We got about three more hours for this session. <laughs> One more time for the for the videotapes tapes. Uh, tape a lot set. Of its Okay, how do you get there? How do you how do you get from what you're wanting them to do to getting them to do it, especially when you don't have a whole lot of time? You have to find the right person. Mm, okay, I'm messing with you again. You don't have a whole lot of time. Do you do you go to an incentive models to still get them to do something? You could. You could. So this is what I'm this is what I'm working with. Most of our futures, most of our future, most of our past, a number of our past. If you've worked for non-church organizations particularly, have become accustomed to what a secular scenario might be in terms of getting people to do things. And we model that back into our churches that in order to get somebody to do something, you have to incentivize them to do it instead of them wanting to do it. From their heart, you know, church people are all about the heart. I want to do it. I feel this in my heart. I feel like the Lord is, you know, this is how we are. So we feel like we have to incentivize them if their heart is not in it. What I'm saying to you is we walk a fine line on an average basis between manipulation, coercion and that thing that's supposed to be more transformational. It's an edge. It's just right there. And I like what Pastor said. You have to be careful and check your heart, your heart to make sure you don't want this more than they do. Either way, just because they're paid doesn't mean that you, you have the right to, to manipulate or coerce. No, there are things that you be required if the job's not getting done. Mm. There's some practical things. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. And I I, I don't see giving more things to the softness. They're hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, in the church world, I, this is
0: probably not true in your churches. Let me just talk about some things I had to be careful about. Because it, it happened to me when I was when I was an associate pastor at another church, I found out a lot of stuff I was doing wasn't even in my job description. What I was originally hired to do, it wasn't in the job description, but I realized if I didn't do it. Uh, it might it might cause a blank in my income. So as I reflect, I think that that was on the edge of coercion and manipulation on the edge. Now, mind you, this is all in the things of God. We love Jesus. We're not questioning any of that. What I'm saying is that the leader has to, I think, has a responsibility here that what they're asking to be done in short order, in short time, for some, followers can be on the edge of coercion and manipulation. You have to be careful how you're asking people to do stuff, what you're asking them to do, and the time you're asking them to do it because at the end of the day, you still need something done. Yeah, it's a little different because can you ever get a portfolio yeah. no. always going to be extras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I find myself doing more now and I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is this is time consuming is I spend more time trying to get the shared value part helping them understand why I'm asking you to do this versus just telling you to do it. Because if I feel if I can get that why part figured out a little bit more I might get a little bit more buy-in. And they might want to do it on their own without me trying to go any further to get it done. But what I'm saying is, though, it's time consuming. I'd rather the Marine me say, you know, <laughs> get this done. That's the, that's the Marine Corps me. But the the transformational me says, here's, here's what I'm asking. Here's why I'm asking. And by the way, I, I got to have this by Friday. Uh, and I, I know you're busy. You got other stuff on the plate. But can, can you make this happen? Is there any way you can make this happen? And I shouldn't have to say, you know, and I'll put a few more dollars in your paycheck. I shouldn't have to say that. Um, if I do just put it, don't, don't, don't say, just put it in there. Right. But I shouldn't have to say that, but if I do have to say that, then it, we're moving back to an edge that, that we shouldn't be at in the, in the first place. That's what I'm saying. But I think the relationship factor plays part of that. Yeah. Cause if, if you have the relationship, you rely on that. Yep. If it comes through yep. to where I'm helping you because it's a relationship factor. But if you don't have that, if you don't have the emotional bank, you have to rely on the transaction. That's what, so, so you see clearly. That we are primarily supposed to operate in the transformational, but from time to time, time to time, folks, you may have to be transactional. And if it's not you and you'd rather um, create some distance, hire somebody who can. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah. this... What I'm saying to you, the theoretical portion of the transformation transactional you hear it stated, what we're trying to do is to break it down and make sense of it, because on the day-to-day, this is where most of us operate, and we don't even realize that we're floating between transformational and transactional on a daily basis. This is not aside. This is aside from you being a charismatic or a servant leader, by the way. Yes, ma'am. I feel like I get better results when I explain, this is the reason why I'm asking for this to be done. And it takes a little more time, though, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. 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 I come to work for you. Got any openings? I come to work for you. Have any openings? I bet you're a tough boss. I bet you're a tough boss. I bet you're a tough boss. A tough boss. But, you know, in being a tough boss is that you have high expectations. And um, and that there's nothing. We all should have high expectations and expect people to meet those expectations. And um, but if you keep casting the vision keep explaining why I believe people will come up to the, will meet will meet that expectation um, and that's what I'm saying uh, that, that Collins was right about I think he's basically explained if we can hire the right people the need to manage them goes away you don't have to be the tough boss because you can just be the boss and people are going to do what you so you can always say the amazing team you have because they're all capable of doing what they were hired to do Woo, I've heard that before. Isn't that a good one? Y'all heard that before? You can't expect what you don't inspect. Now, I must admit, you're reeling me back in over here. I was trying to go that oh, way. God. But I must admit, th- at least theoretically speaking, the concept that you can't expect what you inspect is still a transactional model. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's not that that's not important. In your particular role, you may have to do more transactional Uh, activities. But wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to inspect it because the people Mm self-inspect? That, That, that's where there's where the work comes in. It's investment. investment. They're, they're already, they're already there. They already want it as much as you want it. They're already willing as, as much as you are willing. And they're willing and able and capable and they do it. And if we can get that as a church or as a, as a non-profit organization, for-profit, all of our organizations will go to another level. So Colin says, if you can get rid of the wrong people and get the right people in the right seats on the bus and then s- decide the direction of the bus, it's a whole new day. Right. So what would church look like tomorrow if all the right people showed up? Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I have that same quote. Can't expect what you don't expect mm-hmm. on my wall. Mm-hmm. And I put that towards my employees. That that's how they should do their job. They can't expect the customer to appreciate their work unless they inspect what they've done and make sure they did it fully to go back through. So there's two sides to it, as mm-hmm. well as leadership. There's, there's, there's the, the followship responsibility. Yeah, there's self expectation. The so. Absolutely, absolutely. What what's the industry that you're in? Janitor. Ah, yeah, it makes got to make sure they're doing the right job, doing a good job at it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. How are we doing time-wise? Got about a couple minutes, eight minutes. So coups and positors. Anybody read that book? Leadership Challenge, Uh, Leadership Practices. Ever did a Leadership Practices Inventory, LPI. That's another instrument, by the way. Uh, We were talking about instruments in the last uh, about assessments. May I add that to you? Uh, Write down because it's available online. It's called the Leadership Practices Inventory. Leadership practices inventory. Get it online, download it, do it right online. I don't even think you have to download it. I think you do it right on there. And it will give you indicators of how people fall into these four, these five categories. Do they have the ability as a leader? Do you have an ability as a leader to model the way? Whatever, similar to what we were talking about, inspect, expect. Whatever it is you want accomplished, you got to lead the way. you got to be doing it. Don't expect other people to do it. Model the way. Secondly, you have to find a way to inspire Whatever it is you want, you're gonna to have to find a way to inspire people. Alright? Um, not just saying things, but perhaps doing things that get, get people involved inspirationally to the shared vision. Number three, here's the hard part. Those who follow you, be a part of your organization you gotta be willing to let some people challenge your process. If if pastor is not doing what he needs to do, or the associate is not doing what they need to or they're they're messing something up, is there room for the challenge? As leaders, is there room for somebody to come up and say to you, sir, ma'am, do you have a minute? And hopefully they do it very diplomatically, right? Hopefully they don't just call you out in the middle of the church service or something. Hopefully at the, they find a way to say to you, do you have a minute? This, what you just said, what you just quoted, what you just did, those numbers you just added up is not right. And you, you not take offense, but aren't pastors secure leaders Not always right how well do y'all take criticism well let's not let's change that word that's a negative word how well do you take feedback because what I tell my students is I'm not letting any of you provide me constructive feed, constructive criticism because you don't know what you're doing Most of you have not been trained on what on how to construct criticism. The word critique alone is a negative word. So let's talk about feedback. How do you share with me my pros and my cons, my goods, and my bad, my strengths and my weaknesses? What what history do you have constructively putting that information together? And I suggest to you, most of us have not been trained on how to provide constructive criticism. We just provide criticism. We call it constructive criticism. <laughs> it wasn't well constructed at the end of the day um, because you can't put together all the parts that would make it more constructive. Does that make sense? So what I'm suggesting to you is provide a platform, according to Kuz and Posner's, provide a platform for people to provide or challenge the process. If something's not going well, do, Challenger perhaps would not have had the issues it did going into space if more people were allowed to challenge the process. understand it came down to an O-ring. An O-ring, folks. Catastrophic failure over an O-ring. Unbelievable. Enable others to act. We've been talking about that all day. And then finally, the fifth part is encourage the heart. So here's what I want to do in a four-minute exercise. I'm going to ask you if you have something you're writing on, something in front of you will write on, something you will write on, something you can write a text, type, whatever. If I can get everybody to participate and join me in this vision, <laughs> this would be great. I'm give you a little exercise. Really, really short, really sweet, really simple. I want you, in no more than a sentence, to describe whether or not, based upon what we've just described, whether or not you are a transformational or transactional leader and why. Try to make it as simple as sweet as you can. That's what I'm giving you to. I say a, a sentence. It may take two. Are you a transformational Or transactional leader. Perhaps even both, but the question is why? Put some of the definitions back up there just uh, to help a little bit. Everybody got something? I want to actualize it in a minute. Everybody got something? Got a thought in your mind one way or the other? We have something? Anybody still writing? All right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do just to, to, to actiona, actionalize it, make it actionable. I'm going to ask you in pairs, the two of you obviously just sitting together, sir, and this gentleman right here, would you explain your, where you've, where you, where you, what you've decided? You need to transfer it to this gentleman, right? Sir, sir, I'm on. Would you talk with this gentleman? Tell, tell him what you've decided. Sir, you tell this gentleman right back here what you've decided. You too, both. Will you? Ma'am, you? you join over here with these folks right here? I just want to hear, hear you say it. You folks. Paris, Paris. Let her... Oh, you know what? You guys can join right across from me. The three of you do it right here. You too. Pair up. I want to hear you saying it. Hear you talk it out. Where, where are you? When you're done, we're done. Just want to get you saying it. Speaking it.